we're going to be looking at a documentary based on a best-selling book called The Bible on Earth and exploring the field of biblical archaeology. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Rabbi Reacts, continuing our series on the Bible and archaeology. Today, we're going to be looking at the Exodus and the way that this documentary makes the claim that there's zero evidence and, and it's impossible to say that it happened. And we're going to be looking at a counterclaim to that. Uh, if you haven't done so yet also, please do remember to like, to subscribe and to click on the notification button. You can also comment on the video below. We love interacting and we love it when you get those notifications so that you can see other videos as they come up. So in this video, as in the first one, the kind of the hero of the video walking through it is, is Neil Asher Silberman, who is one of the biblical minimalists, one of those academics who, who really tries to minimize any correlation between the Bible and history. And he's going to be speaking to Donald Redford, who has a similar worldview to them and is an Egyptologist. So we're going to be drawing the, the video about 20 minutes in. During the first 20 minutes, they actually build the case that there is a lot of correlation. The basic idea that the Bible presents of a migration of Semitic peoples into Egypt in famine does fit that period of time. The idea that some of them rise up like Joseph does work with that period of time. The idea that, that as they leave Egypt, there's these fortifications on the northern route, that does fit with the time. And they've even agreed that there is a town, two big store cities that the Israelites build, the most prominent named Ramses, has actually been archaeologically found. But from this point, they're now going to argue that everything else doesn't work. And this is what we want to take a look at, the claims today. The Bible tells how, after having camped in the desert for almost three months, the Israelites received the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai. They then headed off towards the northeast to the land of Canaan. At that point, the biblical text tells us, they reached the oasis of Kadesh Barnea, located between the Sinai and Negev deserts. It is here that they spent many years after refusing to enter the Holy Land. The oasis was thoroughly excavated during the 1950s and 1970s. No remains from the 13th century, which is believed to be the period of the Exodus, were found at the site. Modern archaeological techniques enable us to pinpoint the tiniest remains left behind by simple herdsmen, and yet, no trace of the Israelites' long stay in the area is to be found. The absence of any evidence of their journey through the wilderness in either this oasis or anywhere else in the Sinai Peninsula is one of the enigmas of the Exodus story. How can you explain the possibility of a, such a large group as described in the Exodus story actually going out of Egypt? Is that possible? Well, I couldn't explain it. <laughs> Nothing of that shows up in the archaeological or textual record. And uh, one might argue that's a, an argument from silence, admittedly. But nonetheless, uh, we know so much about that period that uh, not to find even a single blip on the radar screen, as it were, um, it, it would be fatal to that theory. Okay, so this argument is we have an, an absence of evidence, right? And we know they've got to be cautious in archaeology because absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. But he's saying, come on, when you've got a population that size in that place and there's zero there, that's telling us something very strong. Note what this claim is not, by the way. There's a kind of very 
top Peter claim of, well, you know, we should have the Exodus recorded somewhere in Egyptian writings. And that is an un incorrect claim. And the documentary here doesn't even make that claim. The reason it's incorrect, I'll just point out, because a lot of people are often confused by that, is there's only two types of writings that we have from ancient Egypt. Those in monumental stone structures, which are always propaganda. There is no failure of Egypt that you'll ever find. These are writings to tell how great a pharaoh was or how wonderful some, some uh, priestly uh, spell or something is. There's nothing in there that will ever say anything went wrong. And the other way we can know about day-to-day -day life in Egypt is through papyri, through writing on paper. The unfortunate reality is where the Israelites were in the Delta region, there are just zero surviving papyri um, from that period of time. There's centuries of stuff we just don't know about the day-to-day -day life of people. There was undoubtedly things written on papers, but they're gone. The climate uh, doesn't allow for survival of such things in those areas. So there's a lot of stuff just missing from that time, not just about Israelites, but about all the day-to-day -day life of that period. And by the way, most of the world. It's quite rare to find paper findings back then. When you do, they become archaeological gold mines. So, and they're usually almost always in very, very dry climates. So we just don't have any of the writings that would tell us about people struggling with the fact these slaves have gone and so on. That, so that argument is not what's being made over here. What's being made over here is a different argument, is that we do know Israelites are moving en masse, large populations, and where are they? And by the way, that's not just an argument made against the Exodus through the Sinai Desert. They make the same argument about the arrival into Canaan, into Israel. As the hilltops begin to settle, at the time they're supposed to, the Israelites are meant to be there, we only have tiny amounts of settlements, population maybe of 5,000 people. And then it moves to 40,000 people. There's none of this 600,000 people leaving Egypt stuff entering into the land of Canaan, you know, hundreds of thousands of them coming in. They're just, just not there. That's what he said. And we have all these amazing techniques to find even the smallest items from herdsmen and they're not there. And that was plausible until a few years ago. I've already mentioned in a previous video the discoveries of Tel Aviv archaeologist Erez Ben Yosef of biblical Edom. Let me explain what this is. For decades, archaeologists against the historicity of the Bible have argued the Bible mentions ancient Edom. They're meant to have had kings before anyone uh, was kings and Israelites, but we do not find any evidence of this ancient kingdom of Edom until the 8th or 7th centuries BCE, hundreds of years after the Torah is meant to have been written, and certainly hundreds of years after there's Israelite kings. So you see this must be a later author looking around their own time and getting confused about ancient history until less than 10 years ago, Erez Ben Yosef and team are digging the Timna Valley area, finding thousands, tens of thousands of mine shafts of clearly a massive kingdom with an enormous workforce in the thousands or tens of thousands, supported obviously by agricultural surplus in quite a dry area. The world must be hundreds of thousands of, of people in its kingdom that it can marshal and control, use the food surplus, to, to dig these, to, to support the laborers, to dig these mines, and then import and export, exporting these coppers all over the place. And yet, they are archaeologically invisible. The alleged brilliance we have in discovering a little herdsman just isn't true. The reason they're archaeologically invisible is they were nomadic. They didn't build brick settlements, stone or brick settlements. They lived in tents. And it seems clear you can have tens or hundreds of thousands of people living in a kingdom as tent dwellers. We will not find an archaeological trace. Had they not 
dug those copper mines, we would not know they existed. And we'd probably still be saying, like archaeologists were till very recently, or at least the minimalists were saying, hey, there you go. We have an absence of evidence for Edom, therefore they did not exist. Erez Ben Yosef himself wrote an important article, um, an archaeological article, you can find it online, and it's not too technical. It's in the Jerusalem Journal of Archaeology, called Rethinking the Social Complexity of Early Iron Age Nomads. I'm just going to jump, he's talking about Edom, but in the fifth uh, section, he, he then has a, a little section called Early Israel. Have we been looking under the streetlight? Effectively making this exact point. He, the sentence is should, sh that, that all the, our theories about ancient Israel should be adjusted to factor in archaeologically invisible possibilities that we now know were part of the reality of the early Iron Age Southern Levant. If you don't like reading academic journals, you can just Google it and find online uh, in Haaretz. There's, a, there's an article online called A Chance Discovery Changes Everything We Know About Biblical Israel. And he points out that in the Bible, in the Torah and Tanakh itself, it's very clear they were tent dwellers till much later. And, and people have been kind of scholars have been saying, well, it's metaphoric, it means physical structures. No, the, the Torah and Tanakh are telling you they're not living. Only small groups of the Levites actually living in any physical city-like structures. Everybody else is tent dwellers until much, much later on, times of, of King David or later, you start to get this sense that moving in cities, really King Solomon is the big uh, urban build. And even then it's likely that enormous numbers of them were still dwelling in tents. So this idea that you can have hundreds of thousands of people, tent dwellers migrating, even living in an area for centuries and leaving nothing that archeologists find at all, tells you it's no, prob no problem at all. The fact that the, the Torah claims that for a few decades, there's these tent dwellers moving through a desert and being archaeologically invisible. Now, just to give you some examples, and the truth is the word ohel, the word tent in Hebrew is one of the most common words, I think it appears over a hundred times in Torah. But just let's look at one or two examples. So this is from Exodus chapter 33. And this is talking about uh, about Moses, when Moses would leave his tent, all the people would get up, Every man stood at the entrance of his tent. They're not living in anything but tents. And this you see consistently all the way through. I'll, I'll again just give you one or two quick examples here. But um, much later on in, in the book of Numbers in Bamidbar, in uh, chapter 11, so the people there are crying. This is Kadesh Barnea. This is the very place they're saying, we haven't found any archaeology. Well, of course not. They're all in tents. Just listen to this. Vayishma Moshe, Moses hears Esa'om, the people. Bocha, they're all crying. They're all complaining. Right At the time, they're not happy with the mana that had landed. And they're crying to Mishpachosovich and their family. Every single one of them at the entrance of their tents. There are no other buildings around. We even find, by the way, to the point that um, when it comes to the laws of impurity and it talks about a corpse and how it contaminates the building, the only building it refers to over here uh, when, when the Torah is being given in the Sinai Desert, because the only building apparently people are going to have corpses in, is exactly, uh, exactly uh, is, uh, is an OL, the, the impurity of, of the tent. So for example, in, in uh in chapter 19 of, of, Bamid, of Bamidbar of Numbers, verse Yudalat 14, says, Zosatara, this is the law of the purity, Adam Kiyamas Ba'ohel, a person dies in the tent. Everybody, everybody walks into the tent and everything that's in the tent 
uh, is contaminated for seven days. By the way, going back to earlier discussions about when the Bible's written, it's clear that at the time it's written, the people are living in tents, which doesn't work with 8th and 7th century and other authorship. But I think we've hopefully dis dispelled that myth already. But many, many other examples, you know, when the when the false prophet, the, the Bilom uh, comes to try to curse the people in uh, in Numbers chapter 24 by Midbach of Dalet, he says the famous phrase, Matovu Ohalach Yaakov, how beautiful your tents, Jacob, his, his attempted curse turns into a blessing. And again, all he sees when he looks across the whole camp is them dwelling in tents. And this is consistent through the Torah, but it's not just in the Torah, in the biblical books that continues much later on, well into the 10th century BCE, to the point where King David's grandson, Rechavon, who tries to impose taxes on the Northern tribes and they rebel. So this is now already a point where clearly there were, was some urbanization. Solomon built some cities. Right? According to the Tanakh, there is now some kind of, of urban dwelling. There are cities, but even then, when the people rebel against him in Kings 1, chapter 12, right? Melochim Aleph, Yud Basin, in Kings, in Kings 1, chapter 12, in, uh, in verse 16, it says the people... Uh, all, all the orders are saw that the king wasn't listening to their request to lower the taxes. So the people come back to the king and they say they return, they, they come back with a word, which means they reply to him and they say, Malon Achelik Bedovid, what are we, what portion do we have in the Davidic dynasty? Why should we have any inheritance in the child of Jesse? That's referring again to King to David, or in this case his grandson. Israelites go back to your tents. So it's very clear. That Tanakh, that the biblical authorship assumes as late as the 10th century, the vast majority of them lived in tents. And in the actual Exodus, they're exclusively tent dwelling to the point where the temple, the temple itself at that time was called an Ohel Moed. It was, it was a tent of encounter with God. There is nothing but tents of that entire period of time. So when they want to say, oh, you know, we haven't found any archaeology from the sites the Israelites were there. Well, yes, we haven't found any archaeology from the massive Edomite kingdom at the same time. That's what tent dwellers are. They don't leave archaeological trace. They are archaeologically invisible. We know about Edom because of the copper mines. And we should have known about Edom because the Bible, the Torah, which as I've argued earlier, is clearly an ancient pre-10th century text, refers to them. Very unlikely they wouldn't exist, but skeptical archaeologists are going to say, oh, we're not going to use the Torah as a, as, as a contemporaneous witness. But it's very, very clear Torah, but the same token has this big Edomite kingdom, has this big Israelite kingdom moving through a very similar area. And the fact that we didn't find pottery and buildings from them is exactly the same as we didn't find pottery and buildings from the Edomites who we now know exist. There is really no contradiction at all to this mass tent dwelling people, nor to their entry into the land of Canaan, and nor should we make the horrific mistake of trying to work out how many there were by looking for stone structure remains when the Tanakh clearly predicts you're going to find very little, even when they enter the land, and none in the Sinai Desert. Now, you might ask, why do nomads not leave things behind? Well, obviously, they don't build stone buildings, which is usually where you find things, but why don't they leave broken pottery? I don't know. I don't know how ancient nomads lived. What we do know from Edom is hundreds of thousands of them leave nothing that archaeologists can find. Is it because they ate more with their hands? Is it because they preserved their, their vessels better? Is it because, you know, they, they recycle? Who knows what they do? We just know with total certainty that you, when you have hundreds of thousands of nomadic people in a very highly organized kingdom, they are archaeologically invisible. We know the Torah tells us the Israelites were a massive hundreds of thousands of tent-dwelling people, and they should be archaeologically invisible too.
Now, next episode, we're going to look at more specific claims and some of the very important discoveries that have been made that do seem to put the Exodus in exactly the context that the Torah says it occurred. Until then, feel free to comment if there's anything you want me to speak about specifically or reach out to me directly. And other than that, looking forward to seeing you in the next episode. Pithom, as I say, has been identified as the city called Per Atom. That's two ancient sites in the area that are plausible candidates for Pithom. Hi everyone, thanks so much for watching. If you enjoyed what you saw, please click on the like and subscribe and hit the notification button below. Thanks so much.